All right, Business and Buckets, Episode 6. We are live B&B fans. Can't believe I'm at Episode 6 already, looking towards double digits. Um, before I jump into today's uh, show and what we got coming for you guys, quickly want to talk about our sponsor here at Business and Buckets, Fueled Supplements. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but with the gyms being closed and being back open, being sore after workouts is something I really don't look forward to especially when I'm getting back into a routine like I am today. That's why I'm thankful for my family over at Fueled Supplements for supplying me with all the essential products to combat muscle soreness, to help increase my recovery time so I can get back into the gym faster feeling great. I absolutely love their essential amino acid, BCA and hydration formula called Comeback. It's a plant-based fermented essential amino acid and BCAs paired with a complete hydration complex, including coconut water and pink Himalayan sea salt for minerals. An electrolyte balance. I tell you what, I'm a believer, and their new flavors are out of this world delicious. My favorite is this blue slushy, great flavor. And I, I don't just take my word for it, man. Go into fueledsupplements.com and use my promo code buckets for a whopping twenty percent off. This ain't no five percent off. No, just you know, throw me down discounts. Twenty percent off your supplements using code buckets at fueledsupplements.com. I share their information all over the place, so. Uh, check us out online, check it out on the web or my socials. Episode six, though, lots to talk about. Super Bowl week. Um, I'm always like a kid during Christmas when it comes to Super Bowl week. Obviously, uh, my team's not performing in the Super Bowl, but I'm still super pumped to see what opportunities come about. And, um, you know, this is one for the ages watching, you know, the GOAT of all time trying to win one at another franchise and watching Pat Mahomes do his thing in action. So, uh, before I dive into the sports, just wanted to bring up, had our first business episode with DJ Akira, episode five. If you haven't scoped that out, check that out. I'm doing weekly business podcasts for you all, but also have monthly business episodes until I could get some more interviews and backlog built up to potentially do them every other week. Uh, but the next month's business episode will be featuring one of my old mentors, Brad Federson. He runs his own painting business here in the Seattle area. We get pretty animated, get into some deep details, talk about, you know, back against the wall moments and, and what helped us be successful. So, you know, look forward to that coming out and I'll put some teasers and some information out before that comes out next month. Well, technically later this month because it's already February. But let's talk Super Bowl. One of the first headlines that I saw about the Super Bowl that I, I wanted to bring up to you guys was Tony Romo, I think it was on social media, but last week he was talking about how big of a game this is for Pat Mahomes and his legacy, future legacy. I mean, the kid's only 25 and has accomplished so much already. And trying to compare him to the GOAT and Tom Brady and his 10 Super Bowls and all he's accomplished, I mean, there's not much of a comparison today. But with the potential of Mahomes that we all know he has, we can see, you know, when I say we, Tom Brady, analysts, myself, can see this game being one of those chips in his belt that come towards retirement. If Pat Mahomes wins this game, could leapfrog him over Tom Brady with his performances. You know, he obviously he's signed to the Chiefs for a long time, uh, working with Andy Reid. I talked last week how most of that crew signed for 2023 to 2025. So this game being the first one going up against the go, if he could beat him in a Super Bowl, which was never plausible until he moved to the NFC, um, that could just be that upper echelon move for him. And a lot of people are like dogging Romo on this take, and I don't know if this is you know even comparable. Pat Mahomes has won one Super Bowl. Um, 
you know, obviously today we're not comparing comparing today's Pat Mahomes versus Brady. I mean, today's Pat Mahomes is better than Brady, and we're about to find out in the Super Bowl based off performance. Uh, but Brady didn't even win the last game, right? The Buccaneers defense and the rest of the role players won that game. He threw three interceptions, and the Packers really should have took that game home. Uh, so Mahomes today is definitely better. When we look overarching resumes, obviously we're going to to put Tom Brady ahead of him. Um, but this is such a huge game for Pat Mahomes, and I think this Super Bowl has him more fired up. I mean, if I'm Pat Mahomes and I have the opportunity to beat the GOAT as well, I'm, I'm really fired up. You should be fired up for every Super Bowl. But in the NFL, it's not easy to repeat. We'll bring up some, some statistics and information on that here in a minute. But this is such a huge opportunity for him. And me as a football fan, you guys as football fans should be super pumped as well. You know, um, as a child, we used to have Super Bowl parties, and I really want to pay attention, watch the Super Bowl halftime and whatnot. But if you're an adult, an actual football enthusiast, sit down. Don't miss a minute because this is going to be a crazy game. So let's talk a little details. Um, I think Brady really wants this more than anything as well because this is his first opportunity to leave Belichick and the Patriots to win a Super Bowl and show that within one year's time frame, which is unbelievable, that's why I counted him out this year. I didn't think in one year's time frame he could mold a team together to get the job done. But in one year's time frame, win an opportunity have an opportunity to win with the Buccaneers, which is not a very winning franchise. Obviously, he has a lot of talent on that team right now. Uh, but show that he is definitely the GOAT and he's not a system QB, that he was a part of the Patriots and he couldn't win by himself. I think real football fans know that Tom Brady was better than that. You can't keep winning the way he did, you know, the records that he had, the postseason records that he had, without being a, a legend and GOAT status. But uh, this is a huge opportunity for him as well. Um, it's kind of interesting to see how some people have flacked on Tom Brady for picking the Bucks, but this is the way I see it. I hate in the NBA how players that have contracts are forcing themselves in and out of uh, out of teams. That's one situation I don't like. But as an athlete, this is their full-time job. It's like me being in sales or being a manager at my company. And if I'm basically a free agent, they're saying, hey, you have an opportunity to pick any other location of our company or other companies, and you get to basically demand the amount of pay you want, I'm probably going to find out my options as well. But that's at the end of his contract when he's put his dues in. I mean, you can't tell me that he didn't do enough for Patriots fans. If Patriots fans or, you know, people of the franchise are upset at him, obviously it's, it's a lot of it has to be jealousy because he did everything that they could ask for and played there and took numerous pay cuts and everything else. He now had an opportunity to go where he wanted and played with the people and team that he wanted to. Why not have that opportunity? And I don't think we could fault him for that as I would, ha you know, if I wanted to go somewhere else and make good money and just kind of submit my legacy and had that open choice, I would do the same. Um, even in the NBA, a lot of players do that. I just don't like in sports when people are forcing themselves out, they're getting these contracts and making things ugly, unless it's potentially a situation that's just, you know, mutual and bad on both sides. I think the best comparison here uh, as of late would be Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't really fault him for the way the franchise has been run. Uh, they should have fired their coach, ex-coach Bill O'Brien years before they had done. Uh, obviously, they got rid of his best weapon and a guy that's in his prime to have to put up with the position that he is in at that franchise, I would want out as well. So that's a little bit different. 
Whereas James Harden, who'd recently been to a finals, had good team and playmakers around him. The front office was trying to help build the team, and he forced himself out. Those are the type of moves that I can't stand, but I don't think we can fault Brady for that on this one. I think that this is just purely, he's earned the right to be able to do what he wants. He did. He's done what he wants, so there's no faults there. Now, I'm, I'm picking the Chiefs. I told you guys last week I have a week to decide. I just can't pick against that offensive firepower. I really can't. I think this is a future dynasty. And again, the Bucks really didn't win that last game. The Packers really lost it themselves. Um, I said two weeks ago, though, you, you put Brady in the Super Bowl, he's going to find a way to win. So it's hard for me to take the Chiefs, but I just have a gut feeling the Chiefs are too talented. Um, they're the new age where Tom Brady's still making a Super Bowl, still a huge accomplishment. He's going to have to play a flawless game to get the job done. And we talked X's and O's and what we think uh, the Buccaneers need to do to win last week. But I'm not going to talk too much about the game in itself. But when we look at Super Bowls, I mean, history is suggesting the Chiefs are going to lose. The barrier becoming a repeat champion has been very difficult uh, for, you know, a bajillion reasons. And the lack of focus that the teams have every year, uh, you know, really provides the best shot of the, the opposite uh, the opposition. I mean... There's been quotes from uh, people like Pete Carroll, uh, Shannon Sharp, where they're attesting to the situation of like lack of focus in a championship game. I think even the Chiefs had lack of focus this season towards the end of the season as they were just kind of putting their chips in for playoffs and ready to play. And that's why people kind of slip on the Chiefs. And that could happen this game. I mean, they saw Tom Brady's three turnovers. They probably think they're a way better team. But I think because of Mahomes knowing what's at stake, the team's going to be put together enough because their future of having a dynasty rides on this season as well. You don't repeat this year. You go through a couple road bumps, and when some of these free agents, such as Tyreek Hill, are expired in 2023, it's going to look a lot different than if they win this Super Bowl. They're put in a position to cement their legacy. They're going to try to keep this group around as long as possible. So I don't think that'll be the case in this instance, uh, but you never know. Going back-to-back titles, I mean, that's the hugest thing that anything anyone could really want in, in, in the NFL is that has not been done very often. Now, eight teams have gone back to back in NFL history. And I, you know, even in my lifetime have not seen a lot of these. Uh, it goes all the way back to 66 and 67 when the Green Bay Packers had won back to back. A lot of people will uh, have knowledge of the Dolphins in 72 and 73. And then, you know, my favorite franchise, this was before I was born, the Steelers in 74 and 75, and then again in 78 and 79. So we look at that dynasty at the time of Terry Bradshaw, great defense, great offense. I mean, they, they, they were separated from three separate years of the back-to-back to the back-to-back. So, I mean, oh, excuse me, that was 78, 79, yeah, 74, 75. So three years between their back-to-backs, um, they, they had to go through some things in the Back-to-back team looked quite differently besides some of the major cornerstones of that team's defense and Terry Bradshaw and the wide receivers uh, to the second time they've done it. We also have the uh, 49ers who did it in 88-89. And then the Cowboys, right as I was brought along in the world, to 92 and 93. The Broncos in 97-98, I do remember that faintly. And then obviously the one that is really where I started becoming an anti-Patriots person uh, was 2003-2004, where Tom Brady really uh, started blowing up. So 
huge accomplishment. This will be a, a big one for the books if the Chiefs can go back to back and potentially have a, a th- first time three peat next year. And then obviously, if Brady wins it this year, he has an opportunity to go back to back with the second franchise, which I mean, that would be that would be bonkers. Um, the fun thing here uh, uh, that I saw is a big article. I mean, Super Bowl week, NFL Network, ESPN, all these podcasts, Sirius Radio, everyone's just building up Super Bowl all week. They have big name interviews, big articles that are coming out. But one of the big ones that I saw was ESPN had ranked the top 50 players from the Bucks and the, the Chiefs, and they'd actually ranked Travis Kelsey three behind Brady and Mahomes, and then Tyreek Hill four, which uh, kind of like the Tom Brady versus Mahomes thing. Sure, like we look at resume, you know, Travis Kelsey is going to be down, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest tight ends of all time. I mean, he's the same age as Gronkowski, and Gronkowski basically retired and is coming back. Uh, so you could see, you know, the trajectory and the past that their careers are on, uh, where Kelsey's going to be in the game for a long time, like Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez. Uh, but Ty- Tyreek Hill, like I said, I think as a coach or a, you know, defense, he is the hardest guy to scheme against because of his speed, because of his big play opportunities. And obviously Mahomes is a quarterback through him. So I would definitely have Hill over Kelsey. Um, that's a fun debate though. If you guys think differently, you know, I'll, I'll throw a Twitter out on it. Maybe a, a, a poll before the Super Bowl. you know, uh, message me out on social medias. I'd love to have my, uh, some fan interaction to get to built up so we could get a cool following that's in the comments. It's, you know, debating my, my methodologies here, but I thought that was interesting because I definitely put Mr. Tyreek Hill, Cheetah, as three over Kelsey. Um, You know, that's three and four. It's not like you're slacking them at all. But um, I think Hill is very popular, but I think he's still underrated a little bit because, like I said, man, he's a a game changer. And I think he's the cog that makes the Chiefs spin and uh, that franchise roll into the Super Bowl. Lots of fun props. I mean... I've been doing sports betting quite frequently this year. I'm really uh, putting my my feet in the water here. And for those of you that listen to my bets, listen to what's going on, I think the biggest beat I had was the uh, the Saints game against the Buccaneers. I, I took some L's there. Uh, but I'm definitely positive on the season, especially in MMA. I've been doing really well. A um, little bit easier for me to bet on because football is so even. But some fun props. I mean, everyone does the, the coin toss. You got heads or tails. I'm taking tails. Uh, the Gatorade color, I went with red this year. Um, there's a lot of offensive numbers you could bet on. The odds aren't that great to bet on offense because this is such high-powered offense and they expect players just to kick ass. I mean, the only ones that I really got into are more of the high-odds scenarios. Uh, things like Cameron Brait over 80 yards, uh, Scotty Miller over 80 yards. Uh, I put Cameron Brait and Tyreek Hill with two-plus touchdowns. It's paid out pretty good, uh, plus 1,000. And then... Um, I took the under. Yeah, the weather is looking a little sketch. It's supposed to potentially have thunderstorms and shitty conditions in the morning. Not high winds, which is huge for offenses, uh, but with thunderstorm-like you know, weather, you just never know. It might just be a monsoon out there. So um, I'm taking the under on this one. A lot of the times in these games that we expect to be such high scoring, uh, sometimes they can be a little bit lower scoring and more of a, a chess match. Uh, one that comes to mind of recent was that Rams-Patriots game. With the Rams having their high-powered offense, I think everyone expected a high-scoring game when the the final score was under 20 points. Some other fun props that I had. um, I have Mahomes with the most rushing yards. Why? Well, it's plus 1,600. Um, He makes some big runs sometimes. The Chiefs haven't been running the ball for a lot of yards. 
Um, the Bucks have a, a duo at running back with Ronald Jones getting more healthier. I think he'll split the carries with Fournette, so that might split up their total yardage. So, you know, Mahomes gets a couple big QB uh, keepers or a sweep on the outside. I think that he could potentially do that. But, hey, I'm putting 15 bucks on it. I could win a couple hundred bucks. Uh, those are always fun to do, but awesome game to do that. I have probably, like, 20 different little bets going on uh, that'll make the game a lot more interesting outside of, you know, the crazy thing that it is anyways. And then uh, the weekend's a halftime show. I'm super pumped for this. Uh, some people have dogged the J-Lo halftime last year and the Lady Gaga one. I've actually enjoyed them. I'm a huge weekend fan. I was supposed to see them here in Tacoma, Washington before COVID. Was super bummed about that. But I think he's going to put on a hell of a performance. He did some New Year's concerts. He did uh, a COVID concert. Everything he's done has been awesome work. I haven't seen him live yet, but I know that his quality of sound live is very good. So I'm super excited to see what kind of things he he schemes up. If you guys saw the New Year's one, it was pretty crazy. Uh, there's going to be fans, quite a bit of fans there. I think it's like 25,000. Um, a lot of ticket holders are going to be first responders, which I think is super awesome that the NFL community had uh, continually to invest in them. And obviously we have Super Bowl commercials. I think Budweiser said they're not having the Clydesdales commercial this year. Um, you know, with COVID, there's not a lot of in-person things. So a lot of it will probably be like CGI and virtual. Um, Disney said they're releasing four Marvel movie trailers during the Super Bowl. Uh, the Loki movie was on there. Um, I can't remember the other movies, but there's some really good movies that have some sweet trailers as Marvel and Disney is going to be making huge moves, not only on TV shows on Disney Plus, which they're already doing, uh, but also just the movies that are coming out benefit to them is they don't have to have a lot of people at the same place same time with all the cgi going on one thing i wanted to talk about is just the the atmosphere of the super bowl i mean as i said i remember being a kid my mom and her friends would always get together at big super bowl parties us as kids would just be roughhousing checking the game here and there and uh playing 500 if you guys ever used to play that throw the football up say number you got to snag it from all your other friends and Whoever catches it keeps adding to their points till you get to 500. So that's always fun. Um, I, I, I always think of the snacks. It's almost kind of like Thanksgiving, just all the fun snacks you guys have uh, that people have during Super Bowl. I know one of my favorite snacks is definitely hot wings. Got to have some hot wings. Uh, meats and cheeses are always good. Um, some specific chip dips uh, like buffalo. There's this homemade buffalo dip that uh, my friends and family makes. I mean, lots of good Super Bowl snacks. Hit me up with your guys' favorite appetizers. I need to bring some appetizers to the Super Bowl this year. So tweet them out. Um, post on my social media what you guys are doing for Super Bowl uh, appetizers. I'll throw a tweet out there to uh, try to feed some responses as well. But I'm just super excited, man. I mean, we got fights coming up Saturday. We'll get to the fights here in a second. Super Bowl Sunday. Probably be a little slouchy on Monday. I, I feel like Super Bowl Sunday, the next day, should be a holiday in the U.S. anyways. But it's going to be fun. Lots of things going on. And this is going to be one for the ages. Um, I quickly wanted to touch up on who I think, because of the end-of-year awards are about to come out, who I think are going to win the big-time awards. I haven't listed out every single award by any means, but I think MVP is clearly Aaron Rodgers. I think we can all agree with that. If he doesn't get it, it would blow my mind. I actually preseason had picked Kyler Murray to be uh, MVP. I figured between the mix of him running and passing and having Hopkins is going to be a huge difference. Um, I didn't expect them to have so many injuries, though, so uh, that definitely played a part, even Murray being hurt towards the end of the year, but was a little off on that one. 
Um, Defensive Player of the Year, I had TJ Watt, and I'm sticking with it, baby. I mean, he led every single statistical stat category in the defense this year. I think the Rams uh, doing a little bit better in the playoffs and the Steelers falling off. I've talked about how big of a fan favorite Aaron Donald is against you know, the fans and just the analyst as he's probably top three player in the NFL out of all positions. I mean, there's like Hall of Fame status, really good status, and then there's like best of their position all-time status, and he's in the upper echelon. Uh, TJ Watt's still young in his career. I don't know if he could have quite the impact as Donald does, but you know, defensive player of the year, I think TJ Watt is definitely that, so stick with that. Would love to be correct on that one. I thought I was homering that coming into the season, but I knew he was out, you know, due for a big breakout. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year, I would assume Justin Herbert is going to get it. I had picked uh, Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire to get it with the high-powered offense of the Chiefs. You know, He was doing really well start of the year as well. He ended up getting hurt, but I figured he would continue to put up godly numbers, and I didn't think uh, Justin would have as much time as a starting, starting quarterback. That wasn't traditionally the plan. Uh, they had Tyrod Taylor in there until the team had poked him in the chest with the uh, um, needle. I can't remember what it was like an allergy needle or something, and they had pierced some part of him, and he was in. Uh, it was a big issue and crazy storyline. But I think he's definitely going to win uh, defensive rookie of the year. I picked Chase Young. I'm pretty positive he's going to get it. There are a couple other contenders out there, but I think he gets that. I had. Um, Comeback player of the year uh, as Big Ben Roethlisberger. I think Alex Smith is probably going to win that award at this point. Just awesome story. He came back and started for the Washington football team, got them into the playoffs to win the division. I also didn't expect Alex Smith would be starting for the team at all. I thought uh, other players on that team were going to end up starting, and he wouldn't really have an opportunity at the award. Uh, But I think since he started that, they got in the playoffs. They're going to give it to Mr. Alex Smith. I mean, how can you not? And then... Coach of the year, I had actually picked Kevin Stefanski, who I think is definitely the lead runner for it with that offense and what he's done to Cleveland. Last year, I said how the Browns were one year away from really taking it up a notch. I'm just really an advocate of one year team chemistry. It takes some time. And, you know, I thought OBJ was going to be a, a crucial part of that. And they obviously played better without him. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I think Stefanski is definitely the head on that as the Browns haven't been in the Super or playoffs in a bajillion years. And there was some big-time coaching or QB changes throughout the league. I mean, we talked about how crazy of an offseason this is going to be. Uh, franchise QBs moving teams, the NFL draft, just a little bit of everything. And the big one was the Gofford uh, swap. Uh, Gofford, jeez. Goffin Stafford swap from the Rams to the Lions. I mean, you could tell because McVay has set up this team, you know, riding off the hills of a Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, which it was Tom Brady at the time. So you look at Sean McVay and the Rams front office. They had a great offense. They still have all the pieces. You have an amazing defense. They traded all those first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. Like, that franchise is in it to win it. I feel like the Seahawks are putting themselves in that position now that you have to go all all out and win. And if your quarterback can't perform, there's going to be friction there, and you're going to be upset because you as the coach, you know, you have a thin line to cross or else your job could be on the line as well. You know, coming in the season, they they were on hard knocks. You could see how buddy-buddy they are. They've been like that forever. But with consistent turnovers, bad mistakes, and issues with Jared Goff, I think McVay was getting fed up. And Goff's just kind of a little softy. He's a California boy, went to UCLA. I don't, you know, you could say he's been in adversity in football. But as a young man who's played for rich schools, you know, great school upbringing his whole life, 
you know, something doesn't go his way, he's going to be upset. Can't really fault the guy, but he, he is a little soft. So I think this had led to this decision because a lot of people think Matt Stafford is not the greatest. He lived through Megatron throughout some of his better years. But the man's technically like just in his prime, maybe on the batter, latter half of his prime. But he's an upgrade through almost every measure that you could think of when it comes to golf. We talked about Stafford's passing stats and other things last week. Like this blows my mind. So I think the, the Rams are instant contenders having Stafford on the squad with that defense. And he probably has more weapons with this Rams team than he ever did as a full package in Detroit. He had Megatron. He has uh, Kenny Galladay now. But I mean, they have Robert Woods. They have Cooper Cup. They have multiple tight ends. They have multiple running backs. It seems like they're not going to bring Malcolm Brown back. But Cam Akers stole the show. You still have Darrell Henderson. And the defense really doesn't have a lot of flaws. So... I think that's really impressive. Um, the softness of Goff as well. He had a quote, I think it was NFL Network, where he said, as the quarterback, as the guy that's arguably the most important position on the field, if you're in a place that you're not wanted and they want to move on from you, the feeling's mutual. So he told this to the LA Times. You don't want to be in the wrong place. It became increasingly clear that that was the case. 100%. But the sad thing is, is you're probably going to go waste some years in Detroit and never be a starting quarterback again after that. Because even the Lions have come out and said this is kind of a short-term solution until they could build with the new coach and rebuild through the franchise. So, um, you know, sucks to be Goff. I mean, obviously, you got to be upset. Uh, but like I said, the Stafford move for the Rams is a no-brainer. And with the big contracts and the big money that those two were held to, it's impressive that they got, that got happened. Uh, but I think we might see another one of these coming up here soon. So um, let's look a little bit at their history the four seasons that Goff and McVay were together, they had accumulated 42 wins, which tied the Seahawks, who have Russell, and uh, T- Tampa Bay, who has Tom Brady. But since 2009, Goff ranked second in the NFL with 38 turnovers. I mean, this is preposterous. We talk about Jameis Winston, the big numbers that he had, some of the offensive weapons he had in Tampa and the turnovers. Turnovers kill games, and that's just a big thing with him. Um What's going to be fun, though, is or what, what is crazy about this is the financial capability that they were able to, to power through. Goff is signed through 2024, and it's reported that the Lions will carry an, about an $18 million dead cap hit in 2021, um, and the Rams, $22.2 million. Stafford signed through 2023, uh, which is great for the, the Rams because that's really their window. Um, so the even money swapped is kind of why it worked. But as I said, I think we're about to see another one of these. There's rumor that um, Mr. John Gruden and the Vegas Raiders are going to make a move at Deshaun Watson. Uh, they've been testing the market on Derek Carr, and it's very hot. To be honest, I'd rather have, obviously, Deshaun Watson over Mr. Goff, but I would rather have Derek Carr over Goff as well. Carr's owed around $20 million a year for the next two years, which is less than the other two. And then Deshaun Watson just signed that four-year, $100 million contract. I believe the Vegas Raiders do have some cap space, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they can power that through with, with Watson's contract because 11, $111 million guaranteed is a lot of dough. Uh, but I could see that happening. New stadium, having fans next year, Watson leading that team. Uh, pretty decent all-around offense and defense. And the weapons on the Raiders are already better uh, having Darren Waller, you know, to throw at, and um, I'm sure they'll improve their receiving core. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I think Booker's still going to be back there as a backup running back, and pretty youthful defense. So 
I think that's going to be fun to watch for. And, you know, whether Derek goes to Houston, hopefully not, uh, goes to other teams, um, I think he'll do pretty well. He's kind of stuck at the Stafford position where he has to do something to prove his next step. But um, like I said, I'd rather take all of them over uh, Mr. Goff anyways. All right. With that, though, Everyone is saying the Raiders, we're still talking Watson, we're talking all these quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the draft. The Patriots know they got to find their quarterback somewhere. So I'm still not ruling out Watson to the Patriots either because that guaranteed money they have enough extra space with and with a lot of those opt-outs coming back on defense. You know Belichick already knows what he wants to do. I'm just interested to see how these dominoes fall. We'll be talking uh, post-Super Bowl quarterback fits, potential trade market, potential uh, draft signings, lots of mock drafts coming out. I've never done a full mock draft. A lot of work goes into that, but I might potentially do that for you guys, which would be a lot of fun. If anything, I'll at least do quarterbacks and where I think they'll fit the best. And coming off that, some awesome news came out this week. NCAA, the video game, college football is coming back 2021. Everyone's speculating cover athletes. I think it's simply going to be Devonta Smith, maybe Joe, Joe Burrow. I saw Kyler Murray putting his name out there, put a real one on there. The Cardinals backed him up on it. Lots of cool opportunities there. Super excited for that. I'm more of a Madden guy, honestly. It's more realistic. The NCAA video game is very gamey. Running quarterbacks, like basically who doesn't score uh, first is not going to win. So I'm not as huge of an advocate of that game, uh, but everyone's going to freak out and be super pumped for that. That's a big move and will be good for the new systems to just make more money and sell that game. I think that's probably a huge part where I came back. The NCAA had talked about paying athletes, which is the first step, but the new systems need to sell stuff that make people buy new systems. So this is an easy win there as everyone's going to, all sports fans are going to lose their, lose their shit when that game comes out. Well, like I said, super fun week, lots of things going on in the football world. The off season's always just as busy as the regular season. If you're a true football fan, but I'm going to be strapped in for the Super Bowl. I got my bets. I'm going to listen to you guys on appetizers, make some fire appetizers, and uh, kick it with a couple of my family members in my circle. Um, after having a fresh pow day snowboarding Mount Baker on Saturday, leave a little early so I can watch the fights. Um, I went to Baker last week. There was like th three, three-ish feet of fresh powder. I uh, was still in the blizzard, so not amazing visibility. But man, the, the snowstorms that are coming through, people are getting dumped. I saw Jackson Hole is getting dumped, their reservation, only this year, so I won't be going. Uh, but super pumped for ski season. Just had to plug that in there. Let's talk fights, baby. We had a week off the fights. Uh, like I said, I'm excited for back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back Saturdays till the end of March. Um, more and more fights keep getting announced. Uh, but UFC Fight Night 184 is pretty big. Um, you know, it's it's got to keep the momentum of 2021 as they started the year with Super Saiyan Max Holloway on the first ABC card and Dustin the Diamond Poirier's uh, performance against the proper Conor McGregor. Uh, before we go through the fight card, I will say that I saw today that Conor is really vouching for a three-peat for all the marbles, the proper marbles. He wants to, I think at this point he's kind of desperate. He wants to keep his legacy there. He wants to keep battling. But let's be honest, like if you're not ready for leg kicks, you're not changing up your game, you're fighting 90 seconds in two years against a guy that's way past his prime, like there's a lot to go through and why the hell would Dustin Poirier want to take that fight? So I don't see that happening, but he's going to fight for it and try to pull Dana's strings because 
at the end of the day, I mean, does Dana really care? Is Dustin a, a big-time seller like Connor? No. If Connor wins, does he make the UFC more money? Yes. If Connor wins, could the next fight potentially be even more money? If he could fight it, could be or somebody else? Absolutely. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. I'm really, as a fight fan, advocating that that shit doesn't happen. But it's going to be interesting to see. Thought I'd throw that in there. When I go over the fight cards, I don't talk every single fight. I mean, these fight cards, there's a lot of fights that happen that I just don't know all the fighters to. And I feel like I don't need to speak into the fight too much if I don't know what the hell is going on. Um, if I look at the fight card right away, I mean, the first fight, Ode Osborne versus Jerome Rivera. I'm pretty sure I've seen Jerome Rivera fight, but I, I don't have a lot of insight into that. We have Molly McCann versus Laura Fritzen Procopio. Like, never even heard of these guys. Uh, Jocelyn Edwards versus Carol Rosa. Like, unless you're the top of the women's division, probably not going to know you very well. Martin Day versus Timur Vileev. Mike Rodriguez versus Danilo Marquez. Like, you know, I'll usually watch most of the fights, at least the main card, some of the prelims, depending on what I got going on, because they're on Saturdays. And if someone, you know, really does an awesome performance or looks like they could contend for a belt in the next couple of years, I'll keep following them. But, like, these are the type of fights where, I mean, it's a free fight. It's not a pay-per-view, so it's obviously you're going to have lesser fighters on there. But I'm not going to, like, super look into them and make sure I'm watching every second of those fights. So I'm not going to speak into every single fight every time I cover a card. But I will talk about the people that I've, I've been watching. I mean, I've been watching UFC. I think my first UFC pay-per-view that I ever watched was Chuck Liddell versus Gabriel Gonzaga. Let's see. See if I can Google this real quick. When the hell did that happen? Let's see, Chuck Liddell versus Gabriel Gonzaga. Let's see. UFC 96 in 2008. So, yeah, about sophomore year of high school, I really started getting into UFC. Uh, one of my good friends, stepdads, was super into it and would have a bunch of friends over. They had a huge house, kind of like a Super Bowl, have a bunch of snacks, appetizers, as kids would play around. So, I just really got hooked to it from then out. I really started getting into like Sure Dog and tracking fighters. Uh, you know, once I get into a sport, I always want to root for someone. Became a big BJ Penn fan, and he was going off at that time. He's licking blood and doing crazy things. So, you know, I definitely have some experience in the fight game. So, we'll talk about a lot of fighters that I, I enjoy and follow. First fight Michael Johnson over Clay Guida. I'm not going to say a lot about this fight. This is two guys that have, you know, vets have been around the block that just won't go away. I think Michael Johnson has more left in the tank, though. No offense. Clay Guida, I mean, the height that that guy has, the hair, the craziness, he's always coming at you. His fight against Diego Sanchez, one of the best fights I've ever seen. They just straight go at each other. So it'll probably be a fun fight. But, you know, after this, like, Clay Guida needs to retire. The UFC talking about cutting, you know, 50 fighters. Like, this has just got to be past it. I mean, there's guys that fight past their primes. My guy BJ Penn did it. I just hope that that doesn't happen, and I hope that we don't have to see Clay Guida continually fight and get smashed up. Um, the next fight, though, that I'm really excited for is Benil Dariush over Diego Ferreria. I don't really know Diego that much, but Dariush, man, he's on his prime, and he's on a roll. He's fought twice the past two years. With three fight of the nights, and his last knockout over Scott Holtman 
was with a spinning back fist. I will never forget that finish because the fight before that is really where he got put on the map. He was able to knock out Drakkar close in the second round. Nasty punches. Then comes out in a first round spinning back fist knockout. Uh, but before that, he submitted the likes of Frank Camacho with a rear naked choke in round one. And he put Drew Dober away, who was hot at, well, hot right now and hot at the time, uh, in an arm bar with a second round su- submission. We look at Darius. He's 13th ranked in the lightweight division. That's how stacked that class is. We talked about multiple weeks now how stacked that class is with Khabib up top, you know, Connor, Dustin, you name it. Um, but this guy's the real deal, and I don't think anybody wants to fight him. He got his black belt in five years. I mean, the guy's a stud. He's really putting his striking together now. He's fought guys like Edson Barboza early in his career. Took the L there. He fought Mike Vick. He beat him. Sadly, Mike Vick just announced retirement to MMA after his last knockout. You know, he hasn't performed very well. He got cut from the UFC, and I'm not even sure what fighting promotion he was fighting on last weekend when he got knocked out. But, you know, sorry to hear that, you know. Props to him. Couple bad losses. It's time to hang it up. So hopefully Clay Guida does the same. Unless he wins. He could win. He's crazy. Um, Dariush has fought Michael Chiesa, who is making moves right now. Uh, he lost to him. He fought Michael Johnson earlier in his career. Beat him. He ended up fighting Jim Miller. He was a last second replacement. Beat Jim Miller, who's a stud. He's beat Jerron Cruikshank. So, I mean, there's lots of good guys that he's fought. He has quite a resume already, but just now in his prime, I'd expect him to beat this guy. He was supposed to fight... Oh, no. Uh, let's see. No, he's always supposed to fight Diego, but from here is really going to see, you know, how far Dariush can go in the division. I could see him potentially big-time win here for a second-round knockout, and then he could fight Dan Hooker. Boom! There we go, UFC. How sick would that be? Dan Hooker looking for vengeance. Dariush, another tough-ass opponent who, you know, is going to be a tough fight for Hooker, but that's a fight that I'd be super pumped about. You look anyone in the top 10, I mean, it's going to be a banger with Dariush, but that's one that, you know, Hooker, a couple bad losses, can build some momentum on a stud on his up-and-coming uh, way as well. But lightweight division, lots of action. That's going to be an awesome fight. And this is a free card, not pay-per-view or anything. It's on ESPN+. Plus. Super pumped to tune in, and I love that the UFC is putting up products like this for free damn near every single Saturday. Another awesome fight. This is in the bantamweight division. We have Cody Stammen versus Ascar Ascar, who's a late fill-in. Uh, Cody Stammen's earlier opponent, I believe, got injured, so won't be fighting. You know, Stammen, man, he looks like a Spartan. He looks like he should be in uh, This Is Sparta. The guy's ripped, jacked. He's a stud. He's on a roll in the division. Uh, he had just lost to Jimmy Rivera, who's one of the top dogs in that division, has been for a while. And he has lost to Aljamain Sterling in his past f- uh, five fights, who's now, in my opinion, probably going to beat Pewter Jan and be the bantamweight title holder. So the guys that he's lost to are really tough. He's ranked 13th in the division right as well, so you could see you know, how stacked this division is. But he can could, he could move right back up after this fight. He's fought in the featherweight division as well. I don't know if that's in his plans or not. You look at that division, though, the the frames on those dudes, they're just so big. These are some yoked dudes, and I don't know if someone that's short like Cody Stamen wants to fight the length of these guys. Um, let's look quickly in that division. I mean, there's some big boys. We got the likes of Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, 
uh, Korean Zombie, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, Mr. Clean. That guy's freaking massive. Jeremy Stevens. Uh, we have Zabit. We have Yara Rodriguez. A little bit smaller frames, but quick with long reach. So I just couldn't imagine Stamen wanting to go back into that class. Um, but, I mean, in the bantamweight division, he wins this. He could potentially fight a Dominic Cruz, who's fighting Casey Kenny, um, a Jimmy Rivera rematch. I mean, who knows? There's a, there's a lot of potential there, um, so it will be interesting to see. You know, it's not always easy to fight someone who gets called late. <clears throat> if they've been training, they've been in shape, and they haven't had to cut too much weight. You're planning for one guy, got your whole camp molded around that, and then the week of, you find out you have to fight somebody new. So that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But if he could... Uh, you know, manage this. I expect him to have a big fight next. And hey, um, Ascar wins this fight. You know, he's 11 and 1. He could really make some noise here and then have a big time leapfrogged fight after this to get into the rankings. So I, I still think that's going to be an awesome fight, even though I don't know much of Ascar. Uh, one of the women fights that's coming up in that card is Macy Chiasen versus Marlon Renew. Uh, Marlon is 9th and Macy's ranked 11th in their bantamweight division. Um, you know, as I was writing what to talk about in this fight, I had saw that Stephen A. Smith says he doesn't want to watch women fight in the octagon. Stephen, are you even watching the fights? Okay, you watch the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight. But damn, no, we all know MMA community and UFC fans that you're not watching the damn fights. He says shit that gets headlines, that gets clickbait. I don't give a shit. And, and even if he says something, ESPN and the rest of the media blows it out of proportion. You know, this is why I can't stand listening to those shows Dude, what the hell are you talking about? Have you, The fight of the year last year was probably uh, Yoana versus Waylay. I mean, these girls were smashing their heads in. I've seen some amazing performances. We have the likes of Amanda Nunez, who could probably beat men. We have Valentina Shevchenko, Holly Holm. We had Ronda Rousey, who have elevated women's sports. I'll be honest with you, Stephen. I don't watch a lot of women's sports. But if there was one that I really enjoy, it's the UFC. I was thinking about this when I saw that headline. The only real woman sport I watch outside UFC is probably women's soccer because it's U.S. soccer. If we had like a lot of USA women's teams like USA basketball, I'd probably root for that a lot more. I'm not a big WNBA guy or I probably watch tennis more than the rest because of some big name girls in tennis. But dude, don't watch it. You know, there's some women's fights that are electric when it's the high performing women. You know, like I had said on this card, there's a lot of low performers where they're grapplers and they lay on each other, but don't watch the damn fight. But don't say, I don't want them in the UFC. I don't want to watch that. It shouldn't be on there. Like, get the hell out of here with that. Uh, this is stuff that's taken out of control. And earlier today, I saw Joanna Young Jacek send a little tweet out to him, and I retweeted that. So stick that up your pipe, Steven. But anyways, back to the fight. Um, really, this is the new versus the old. Uh, Marion has fought... Big time competition with Mace, uh, and Macy really hasn't. I was looking it up. This lady's 43 years old. I've seen some old dudes fight, but I've never seen women last that long within um, her career. So, Marion, this is going to be interesting. Um, see if she's got much left. She's still ranked in the top 10, so I'd imagine that she does. But again, outside of the top, usually five or six in each weight class, like I barely know anybody in, in that division. So, I'm, I'm taking Chiesen. Um, I think that she's just the younger, more to prove fighter. But who knows? I mean, Marion might just really love the sport and still have some left in the tank. But the only older woman fighter that I know that's close to her is Holly Holm at age 39. And Holly Holm's been fighting for the titles most of her career. So, I mean, I don't know a lot about this chick. 
she has a lot more experience, but I'm still taking Macy because I know she's tough as nails. Um, and I, I think she's going to get the job done. All right. To the co-main event. Super pumped about this. This could be a pay-per-view fight if you ask me. This is a battle of some of the best guys. We got Frankie Edgar, the legend Frankie Edgar versus Corey Sandhagen, who's been on a roll. Corey's ranked second. Frankie Edgar fourth. And just a reminder, this is the bantamweight division as well, as Frankie Edgar changed weight classes uh, his last fight and is making a last title run of his career. Um, that's really what it is. It's kind of like that last fight, an old vet versus, except Frankie's you know, ranked fourth and a lot higher performing, versus a young guy who's um, proven himself in the division. I'm taking Sandhagen because of the length, because of the youth. But he's shown that he's struggled against previous wrestlers. And we saw that when he fought Aljamain Sterling earlier in his career. Uh, but we look at the age difference. Corey's 28. Edgar's 39. So I think it's going to be a fun fight. I think Edgar's really going to fight, focus on his uh, volume. He's a guy that comes at you, peppers you up. He'll take you down, pepper you up, take you down, pepper you up. And we'll see if Sanhagen has the, the abilities with his camp to coach around that and make sure that he can last... Uh, um, throughout that fight with uh, Edgar's cardio, because you know one thing you can't question about Edgar is, is is cardio. I wasn't a big Edgar fan for a long time because he basically retired my boy BJ Penn, and I was super upset about that. But he's a Jersey kid, tough as nails. He's battled his way. I would love to see him make another run at the title. And to be honest, like yeah, the quality in this division's great, but that title's up for grabs. There's not a dominant title holder in this division like there are many others. Uh, as of now, Pewter Jan has it. He's fighting Sterling in a couple weeks. I'm picking Sterling to win that, so that would be a new uh, title holder, uh, which Pewter Jan had just gotten the title before that. We have Cody Garbrandt trying to make some noise there if he doesn't go down to flyweight. Obviously, Frank Edgar wins this. He could fight the winner of Aljamain Pewter. Uh, we have Rob Font, who's really blowing up since moving up from flyweight. We still got the likes of Marlon Moraes, Pedro Munez, Jimmy Rivera, Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo. So, Lots of names here, but I think this weight class is more, you know, capable of having multiple title holders the next couple of years. And I talked about that in previous weeks that I think there's going to be multiple title holders in this division this year. So, you know, Edgar pulls it off. He could make some really big moves. Sanhagen, though, really good kickboxer out of Colorado. He's come off some wins against Marlon Moraes, Rafael Asuncao, and he lost to Sterling himself, like I said. So, I mean, this kid's legit, though. I expect him to get the job done, and I picked him in my parlay. I put, I put that out on Twitter for you guys. Um, you know, Edgar, in his uh, bantamweight debut, had fought Pedro Munoz, who was, I think, at the time ranked fifth and is now ranked eighth. So it's not like he fought a slouch coming into the division either. So this is going to be a, a, a big, fun one. And, you know, no matter the way it goes, Edgar is still going to be a legend. We'll see how much he wants to go and put out there with all these fighter cuts coming, though, if he does lose to Sandhagen. And then we got the main event. To me, I would honestly rather see the Sandhagen fight as the main event. But we got Alistar over in, got the big boys in the heavyweights. He's fifth overall versus Volkov, sixth overall. You know, these guys are both big studs. I mean, ever since Overeem came into the UFC, I mean, he's one of the most yacked guys I've ever seen. But he's 40 years old now. Uh, Volkov is in his fighting prime at 32, so somewhat similar to the Sanhagen and Edgar fight. You know, this is uh, the old versus the new, so um, this is Overeem's last chance at making a, a run, and he's even said, like, you lose this fight, 
I wouldn't be uh, uh, surprised if he retired, especially if it was a knockout or in kind of a, a yucky behavior. But I think Overeem loves the sport so much, especially after that nasty lip cut from Rosenstrike about a year ago. Like, obviously, he still wants to fight, so he, he would probably take some time and let his emotions go out before he made a decision like that. But um, you look at Overeem's past few fights. I mean, his last big win was Fabricio Werdum, uh, which was a decision back in 2017. It's 2021. I mean, Volkov in the past couple of years has fought guys and beat guys like Roy Nelson, Stefan uh, Struve, Werdum, Greg Hardy, and Walt Harris. Uh, Overeem's beat Walt Harris as well. But you look at heavyweight the past couple of years, the top seven guys are a bunch of bangers, and anyone could beat anybody on an, any given night. But outside of that, the second half is just a bunch of scrappy, hard-hitting dudes. I mean, that's heavyweight for you, right? But I just don't see that happening. Let me look at Overeem here. So he lost to Rosa Strike. That's when he got bloodily cut up. Alexei Olenek, Sergi Pavovich, lost to Blades, lost to Nganu, beat Mark Hunt as Mark Hunt was on his way out, lost to Stipe, beat Orlowski, who's another older dude, beat JDS past his prime, beat Frank Mir, lost to Travis Brown, beat Brock Lesnar, UFC 141. That was really cool. But... I mean, at this point in his career, I just don't know if he's got enough. We look at Volkov. We talked about the names that he's fought. He's also fought Czech Congo. That guy was always fighting. I don't know, man. I, it just feels right to me that it's Volkov's time and Overeem's pretty much past his prime and, and on his way out. Next week, even bigger card. Another UFC pay-per-view. Hopefully ESPN Plus has got its shit together. Come on, Dana. Get him, tell Disney to get their shit together. On the West Coast, last time it went out on the Connor card, I couldn't even stream. People had paid for it. I don't know how to demand refunds. It was a shit show, to say the least. Uh, but big fight coming up. We got uh, Kamaro Usman versus Gilbert Burns. These are two ex-training partners. And it's all going down in Las Vegas at the Apex, which, again, remember, for this card and the next probably damn near up to 10 cards, including the one next weekend, is a smaller octagon at the Apex. That's the UFC's training facility where they're performing these cards. Uh, no fans, unlike Fight Island last weekend, which is a little bit of a bummer. Uh, but no fans, small octagon. So guys like Overeem and Volkov, it's going to be a lot more interesting of a fight. And Usman, who likes to smother you and take you down a smaller ring against Gilbert Burns. But we'll talk about that next week. In other fighting news, the um, Floyd Mayweather fight versus Logan Paul fight got pushed back. There's some political issues there. They're not making enough money on pre-sales. Who the hell pre-buys pay-per-views anyways? I don't give a shit. I don't think anyone really cares about this fight. I'm a Floyd guy, though, so I'm going to watch it just to watch it. But at the end of the day, like, I don't really care. I'm more excited about the Ben Askren versus Jake Paul fight. Biggest reason being is this is like MMA and professional fighters um, kind of like resume or toughness on the line against this YouTuber. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. It's the same night of a big UFC card though. I think it's the, uh, uh, Izzy card. So I probably won't watch that live, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, Ben Askren's an old wrestler. He's never really boxed before. So it'll be, be interesting to see that happen. Uh, my boy, Sugar Sean O'Malley, the Sugar Show is coming back late March for UFC 260. 
there was rumored that in December, Thomas Almeida shut a fight down with him, but he is fighting Thomas Almeida, which will be a good fight to get the Sugar Show's momentum back to make waves in the Bantamweight division. Some of his training partners are out there doing their thing. Casey Kenny fighting Dominic Cruz. Uh, Song Yidong's fighting uh, his training partner, uh, Kyler Matrix. So it's time for the Sugar Show to go back to work and get some shit done. Excited to see him come back to the UFC. Uh, get back in the octagon and show his magic as I think he's an up-and-coming superstar. And then a superstar in himself, Nate Diaz, finally saying that he when he comes back, he wants to fight in the 170-pound class. So I hope we get to see the Diaz brothers come back and bang some out because that's not championship mentality. That's just badass mentality, right? Tony Ferguson says champ shit only. These guys are just bangers only. They'll come out and bang it out. So excited to see who he potentially fights this upcoming season or upcoming year at 170 pounds. But let's switch things up to the hardwood. The hardwood's getting hot. Lots of basketball action to talk uh, talk about uh, what happened this past week and what's coming up this week. So let's get it. I really enjoyed the NBA a, a lot this past week. Um, really what stuck out to me was three separate teams that I was keeping an eye on. So we're going to dive a little bit further into these three teams and their situation. And then we'll talk about you know, headlines of last week, what's going on this week, and uh, get into some college basketball as well. Uh, but the first thing that stuck out is obviously the Nets. I think they're taking headlines everywhere. Uh, the East Coast got some basketball going, which is great to see. Um, I've enjoyed the Nets since they, they expanded over there and Jay-Z took over. I uh, love the new the city version of their uniforms. And it's good to see because the Knicks have been trashed for quite some time. You know, to Nick's standards, they're having an okay season, but to most team standards, I mean, you don't aspire to be in the position where the Knicks are at nine and 13 out of the playoffs, but Hey, that's a come up from what they've had the past few years. So let's talk nets. I mean, this is straight offense, all gas, no breaks, no defense on the team. I expect them to add a big before the, before the trade deadline, which will help improve their defense. Cause they're just getting smoked back there. Um, obviously, the loss of Jared Allen's very big. Spencer Dinwiddie providing some length at the guard position is definitely hurting them on defense. Uh, but the, the Cavs, for an example, has a tremendous amount of bigs. I know Toronto will definitely probably be looking to add a big. Uh, but I'd expect them to bolster the squad, potentially maybe even add a shooter before the deadline. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if just this offense could get the job done without any defense whatsoever. <clears throat> um, it's obviously worked in their previous few games. I just watched them play the Clippers last night, and they were able to get the job done. Um, but another big situation with the Nets, with the, this big three, is who's going to take the shot? Um, I was watching the TNT broad, broadcast because it was the win, um, wait Tuesday night TNT. They did a doubleheader. Uh, the, the crew was back. They got D-Wade, uh, Candace Parker, and um, Shaq. So they were talking, Shaq and Wade were talking about, well, who takes the shot? Because there was not a big three in Miami when Shaq and D. Wade played together. But he said they never really had to have a conversation because it was Dwayne Wade's team. And if you know Shaq was open at the end of the game, he'd give him the ball. But with three guys that can handle the ball, bring the ball down the court, and shoot, that's definitely something that I think is a reason that will hold them back from winning a championship this year. I think they'll come out of the East at this point. Just too much talent, and their offense can get them through. 
Uh, but in clutch situations, I think they have to have like an egotistical conversation. You know, maybe Kyrie's the Buddha in this situation and gets them together and gets them prepared for this. But come playoff time and in these closer games, it'll be interesting to see who gets the job done. The game against the Clippers last night, Kyrie was taking over and he was that guy. But I think there will be some egos involved and there will be some some challenges involved. Um, because even in um, Oakland at the time, Kevin Durant was the guy, and then he had shooters around him where, you know, Clay Thompson's not really bringing up the ball up the court and, and having those clutch shots. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage this and, and what comes from it. Um, you know, it takes time. When you look at the previous big three with Chris Bosh, D. Wade, and LeBron James, they made it out of the East and were able to play the Mavericks and lost. And it was because the chemistry of the Mavericks really were able to take advantage as the Heat didn't have that chemistry yet. And it... Even D. Wade said that summer after they lost that finals, he sat down with LeBron and said, okay, like this is you. When we need a bucket, I'm putting it on you. You want to be the, the guy, and I will take my ego aside and let you be that guy for the strength of the team. So we'll see if they have the ability and can put their egos aside to, to have this conversation, but it's going to be interesting to see. Besides that, though, it seems like they're having a good time. I really do want to root for this team. I'm not the biggest Harden fan, but he's more of the quiet Harden, not... You know, I was interested to see how he would take this backseat role and not just score a bajillion points and dribble too much. He's being more of a facilitator, which is great. And Kyrie was smiling post game. Obviously, he just went ham and, and was beautiful with the ball. Uh, but it just seems like this team enjoys playing together. Uh, Kevin Durant never shows a ton of emotion. He's pretty even kill. Uh, but it seems like they're really enjoying their time together. And it's fireworks to watch regardless. So I'll keep tuning in. Uh, but it, it, once it comes big time playoff basketball, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. And how about Joe Harris, man? My guy, Joe Harris, what a stud. He doesn't get enough credit. He's still shooting buckets. He's all over on defense. He's facilitating when need be. I was watching the game the other night, and I was like, man, if I could be an NBA player, I'd want to be Joe Harris right now. I won't take any of the love. I'll do the dirty work, and I'll, I'll make the, the shots when need be. Uh, but I'm loving him. He's on my fantasy team. So uh, shout out Joe Harris. And the funny thing is all this issue with Kyrie Irving, right? And I said it'll probably be fine. He'll be back and play basketball. You know, why would he make the move from Boston to the Nets just to leave the team and everything fall through? Like, the media blows things out of proportion. They start the little snowball, and then people grasp on and start doing conspiracy theories, and there's this huge snowball at the end of it. Um, but I, I didn't think it was anything to worry about. Um, you know, maybe he takes some time off. But they're humans, right? These guys are professional athletes, and they get paid millions, so everyone is kind of jealous of that because we don't get paid millions for our career. It's like, well, he's working. He's signed to play. He needs to go and play. But we're living in a global pandemic, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, people getting shot, uh, social injustices. There's a lot of shit going on right now. And these guys are humans just like us. And, you know, even one of my favorite baseball players, Andrelton Simmons, opted out of the Angels last year when we were close to a playoff run. And that was really confusing. But he was talking about having suicidal thoughts through this, through the through just the pandemic of what was going on. He said he drove through downtown like Oakland and saw just the, the craziness of what was happening and it really affected him mentally. So we, we can't forget that these guys are human beings. I mean, Kyrie was out buying families' houses and doing things that weren't like bad. So I think we got to give these guys a little bit more slack and, and relate to them as humans. Um, but, you know, when you're an athlete and you're getting paid millions, you're in the spotlight and every action is, is taken in a microscope. Um, but... Hey, it is what it is. I mean, look at Carl Anthony Towns. He he had COVID, has a bunch of family members that died to, to COVID. And 
He hasn't played basketball in, I think, three weeks. I have him on one of my fantasy teams, so I know that. Um, but, you know, can you rush a guy like that back? He's got a new contract. The Wolves are supposed to improve. I mean, shit, his team's sitting at 5-15 and 15 with the second-worst record. The Wizards have the worst record, 4-13. Four, four so, I mean, like, yeah, you want to pressure these guys, but at the same time, they're humans as well, and I think mental health is the biggest piece. I actually read a... Um, Players Tribune article about Ben Gordon and him talking about how bad his mental health was and almost committing suicide post basketball. So um, I think we got to really, especially today with social media, where you could hear what people have to say right away and you could say whatever you want right away. I think it's a stronger mental game. And I think a lot of these young guys who haven't had mentor proper mentorship and coaching just you know, rags the riches real quick. They don't know how to handle that pressure and haven't been prepped mentally and they haven't gone through the highs and lows. Um, you know, you go so high so fast. So, uh, again, I think we just need to take this a little less seriously and, uh, uh, just realize that these are people and not get so jealous because they're getting paid millions of dollars to do their job. I mean, the people that are bitching about them, you need to show up, you're paid to show up are the ones that are buying jerseys, buying hot dogs at game, buying season tickets and supporting these guys. And that's why they get paid millions in the first place. So, um, you know, I just hate seeing people get knocked like that. I love Kyrie Irving. You know, I'm not a fan of his teams, like that he doesn't play for my favorite team, but he's a guy that I've always respected. Him coming out of Duke, just the handles, the flow. He has a different, you know, he's a generational guy that when he's done and retired, we'll talk of him having a specific, a specific skill set and flow to the game that other players did, like Magic Johnson, Pistol Pete, that had their own flows of nature that were fun that not everyone can copy. And obviously that's a byproduct of other people in previous generations that he's been able to bring this to, but he's got a street ball flow in the NBA that I haven't seen in a very long time. So, um, you know, I don't think it's that big of an issue, but it's funny that no one's talking about it now that they're, they're, they're back in action. He's winning games and putting up 39 points, but the Mavs a little bit, a little bit different of a situation. You know, I was very high on the Mavs this year and still am because of Luca and his amazingness. But the team that's developed around him, I thought Josh Richardson was an awesome signing. Obviously, Porzingis coming back. But they're in a real rut right now. Um, they lost to the Jazz twice without Spida Mitchell, which is very big. Um, I thought these were going to be competitive games. I had my popcorn ready, was super stoked. And the Jazz just flat out smothered them throughout the whole game. Um, you know, one of the things that the Mavs thought they could do was pull Rudy out of the center uh, and just attack and slash the uh, uh, slash them offensively to uh, kind of abide by Jazz's weakness defensively. And that didn't work as they were just running pick and rolls through Porzingis on the outside, and he was getting ate up, and it was easy baskets. So that was the first thing I was uh, like, okay, wow, this is not looking very good. And then they lose to the Suns twice at home, which... You know, give the Suns credit. They're eleven and eight. I think you got to give props to CP3 here and what he's done to that team. What he did to Oklahoma City last year. I mean, Oklahoma City this year is sitting at eight and eleven, way out of the playoffs, and they finished like five or six last year. So the teams that Chris Paul goes on to, you got to give them mad props. But for them to lose these games and be sitting at eight and thirteenth outside the playoffs. I mean, they're technically just a couple games out of the eighth. Uh, the, the Rockets now hold at 10 and 9. But for a team with so much talent and the expectations that they had, uh, they're in a real rut. And it made me kind of want to talk about this. And, you know, are they going to get out of it? Are they broken offensively, mentally? What's going on? So um, we talked about crunch time last week and how I felt like the maturity of the Mavericks needed to take over in these close games. And, um, 
I think they just need to build a little bit better chemistry and almost have that that kumbaya conversation that I was saying that the Nets might have to have if they really want to win a championship because Luka has to find his teammates more at the end of the games. He believes in his skill set so strongly, which is fine, but he's not looking for the open play. He's not looking for his teams, and if his team takes a shot and they miss he's pissed about it you got to be able to want your team to be successful you got to find those open looks and until they do that it's just not going to cut it in the nba against high level talent because again the cool thing with the nba is you look at every single team they have so much talent i mean we'll look at the washington wizards real quick this team is four and 13 like nobody watches wizard games but if i look at their roster they have a lot of ballers bradley pill putting up like 40 points a night Davis Bertans, a tall guy that can shoot the threes, 6'10". Um, Thomas Bryant, great center, 6'10", 248. He, he's good defensively and good offensively. Uh, Rui Huchamara out of Gonzaga, guy's a baller. They got Robin Lopez, vet, been in the league for a long time. You got Ish Smith and Raul Nato as backup guards who are quick, smart players. Raul Nato is an ex-Jazz guy, so I know him pretty well. Uh, Moritz Wagner coming from Michigan, who is a big-time guy in college, hasn't quite translated into the league. Uh, same with Cassius Winston, another backup point guard who played for Michigan State and, you know, the Tom Izzo team that balled out. And Russell Westbrook. We all know Russell Westbrook. He, you know, a damn near average is a triple-double. Um, so the, every single team in the league has that skill set. They have guys that are good. But to be really, really good and compete for a championship, you have to have the skill mixed with the chemistry. And I thought what was unique about this Mavs team is it was built similar to the Dirk Nowitzki team where you have a lot of foreign players that come together and they're trying to prove a point to a lot of the American USA team. So I thought that Luca and Porzingis would really put that together. But we also forget that they're still so young and they have a lot of maturity to, to endure. You know, as I become older, I'm 28. And an adult, and you see these young kids play, you could relate because I just came out of those years, right? I came out of the years that Luca's going through in my professional career. Sure, I'm not a professional athlete and a superstar and I'm not a household name, but the kid's 21 years old. I mean, I remember being 21 years old. My 21-year-old self is a completely different version than I am today. So he's got a lot of maturity to go, and I don't think he's ready yet, but I do see them uh, climbing back up in the standings and being an issue that, you know, shit, if you're a 6 or 7 seed, nobody in the West is trying to play that. Imagine Mavericks-Lakers first-round matchup. I mean, that that's a crazy matchup. Clippers-Mavericks, 2-7 first-rounder. Utah-Jazz-Mavericks. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to improve. They're going to be fine, but uh, they do need to have some maturity, and I think a lot of that comes from the coach. So we'll see how they can get coached up and pursue the second half um, because – Shit, you look at the Nuggets, we're outside of the playoff picture. Now they're in the fourth spot in the West. So the West is close enough you can make moves. Everyone's kind of beating each other up. Um, because teams are catching on at the end of the game, they know that you know um, they're going to force the issue like, hey, Luka's going to have the ball, let's trap him or double-team him, and he won't find the open guy or he'll force a turnover because he just wants to you know, do too much dribbling and make things look flashy. So um, the, the Mavs do play the Hawks tonight on the road. That's a pretty big game on the road. You got Trey Young and some offensive weapons there. So we'll see how they respond after this slump. Uh, but I do foresee Luka having some big games and, and, and him getting some of those shooters available and open and that they'll do okay. Let's talk a little Hornets. I've been watching the Hornets the past few games. Obviously, you know, LaMelo ball is a big ticket item and talked about on SportsCenter and all over the news. Um, they're 10 and 11 in the eighth spot. I did not foresee this happening. I didn't think they would be as good as they are 
They're two games back from third place, which the Bucks now hold, which is pretty crazy to think. And this past week, they beat the Bucks and Pacers at home, the Heat on the road, and they play the Sixers tonight, which I'll definitely tune in on, and they play my Jazz on Friday. Obviously, I'm going to watch that. But unlike the Mavericks, this isn't the most skilled team that you look on paper and like, damn, this team's going to contend or be a scary team. But they have a natural chemistry because they have a lot of gritty grinders and like underdogs on the team. Uh, Nobody really needs the spotlight. No one's trying to prove anything. They're just out there playing, having fun. So I'm sure Michael Jordan sees this in the front office and are excited about the team as Charlotte hasn't had a very um, competitive team in quite a while. If we look at the statistics, they don't jump off the paper. They're 22nd in points per game, which I think will only improve. They're first in assists. That's really good. And then 13th in points allowed. So if they could improve a little bit offensively and straighten up that defense, I think that they can they can actually be a playoff team at the end of the season. I mean, Hayward's back to normal, and he's the vet leader of the team. He's looking great. I, I didn't think Gordon Hayward would look this impressive. Once he left Boston, well, almost got booted out of Boston. I thought that might affect him mentally, and he might just kind of wash away in, in Charlotte, and that's really not the case. He's taking on this egoless leadership role and really helping this team grind it out. Uh, they got Cody Zeller back from injuries. I mean, he brings physicality, and he'll help their defense now that he's healthy, which now puts Bismarck Biombo back on the bench where he belongs, and he could do his thing blocking the shit out of second units and, and playing tough, tough D. Another guy that's one of the underrated guys that not a lot of people talk about is Devontae Graham. I mean, he's one of the most underrated guys in the league, and he's putting up points and starting to get his efficiencies up. One of the chemistry things that I think the Hornets are realizing is uh, Terry Rozier. They signed him to big-time money. I think he's a little overrated. You know, he can get buckets on a given night, but he's not a consistent guy that really facilitates the ball. He had a sprained ankle the other night, and LaMelo got his first start as an NBA player. And I saw the way he facilitated that team and how they responded. They beat a healthy Heat team in overtime, which is even more impressive. And I think if they put Terry Rozier on the bench to have offensive uh, output uh, as a sixth man, that could really up their game. It kind of reminds me of Jordan Clarkson on the Jazz. Jordan Clarkson had played in Cleveland. He played with LeBron. He played in LA before. And he never had the opportunity to have a green light because he had a lot of other guys that demand the ball and need to have their shots. And when he has an off night, he could really affect the flow of the offense. Well, Utah is like, dude, we need a shooter on the bench. We need fucking someone who can score the ball. Like, if you have a decent shot, shoot. And if you miss five, that's all right. You'll make the next five. And it's really worked out, and he's probably going to get sixth man of the year this year. I think that's a perfect spot for Rogier. And we'll see what happens as the season goes on because I think LaMelo is gaining more and more trust. The coach was blaming him for turnovers, but he hasn't been turning the ball over very much lately. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, they also have young PJ Washington, uh, the Martin brothers from Nevada who can do a little bit of everything and are super gritty. Um, I'm not sure what's up with Miles Bridges and if he's going to figure his shit out. Uh, but if he can take his game to the level that we all thought he would, this would take a team up to a very competitive team, especially coming out of the East. And I think they can make moves. We look at the standings right now. We have Indiana four, excuse me, Indiana five, Atlanta six, Cleveland seven, I could see them finishing the season as a five or six if these things go correct. If I talk about every single team and look at what they needed to go to the next level, I mean, we could probably have that story here. But watching this team, I'm starting to become a believer, and they are showing me a little something because I did not have them on the radar at all this year. 
And they also have Malik Monk. I mean, the guy scored 40 points the other night, 9 from 13 from deep. This guy came out of college. We all thought he was going to be a superstar. He reminds me of, um, what's that guard's name from Kentucky? Oh, I was thinking about this the other night. But anyways, you get these guys that come out of college that are instant buckets that you think will translate into the league, and it really hasn't worked out. And Malik Monk's been through a Charlotte team that's not very been not been very competitive. Uh, but you know, if he could be a consistent bucket getter on the bench, they're going to be pretty good. As the season goes by, they have the rookie center Vernon Carey who could really help improve the team as well. So I mean, the team's got to be happy of their future, and they can make some serious run that teams keep sleeping on them this year. <laughs> And another story, obviously there's more postponed games. We've talked about this every week. Uh, the league has started to reschedule some of the te- games that have been postponed. Um, I can't wait for the second half schedule as that gets relayed. That's going to show a lot of you know schedule toughness, where teams will sit in the standings. So super excited for that to come up. But it's starting to clear up more, right? There's not as many cases. There's not as many people out. And the, uh, the commissioner was talking about potentially getting players the vaccine soon. So I feel like the season is going to get smoother. And I would expect the second half to have less COVID issues. Um, plus, some uh, teams are actually increasing fan attendance already. Obviously, I'm a Jazz fan. And I could always relate to the Jazz because I have league pass i watch all their games i follow them on the athletic everywhere else so like i could speak into them so if you hear me talk a lot about the jazz that's probably why uh but they're increasing their fan attendance i know that i think there's 15 teams that now have fans so that's a positive look uh hopefully that we can keep you know making stepping stones into improvement so that come late season almost every uh team has fans and um, playoffs allow fans I forgot to talk about this. I haven't talked about this at all, and I I thought this was interesting. Because of the way the season's set up, there's a 7-10 to seed play-in game for the tournament, uh, for the playoffs. So don't forget that that there's an in-play tournament before the playoffs to get a playoff seed. And I was looking at the standings. If we had 7-10 through today, we'd have the Cavs, the Hornets, the Raptors, and the Bulls. I don't know about you guys, but that's a fun four play-in tournament. I like all of those teams. They've all shown better potential. Uh, Chicago's got Laurie hitting off. Toronto had um, Fred Van Fleet go over 40. LaMelo, the Sexland and and Cleveland's actually doing work. On the Western Conference, we'd have the Blazers, the Rockets, the Warriors, and the Spurs. That's just if in, just as enticing, if not more. These are more complete teams. Obviously, we know the, the lacklusterness in the East and how that's compared to the West. But this could be some fun ball. So I totally spaced out about the play-in tournament, and I'm super excited for that. So as each week goes by, I'm going to dissect these standings and look at hypotheticals because I love seeing potential playoff matchups early in the year, especially when the game's happening during the week. You're like, ooh, this will probably be a playoff game. As we talked about Pacers, Sixers last week, uh, Celtics and Bucks and some other teams. As I was watching these games, um, obviously this is fresh because I was watching the TNT Tuesday squad because I'm a D-Wade guy. Um, They teased Shaq a little bit on his jazz comments with Spida Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, I talked how this was overblown and the media kind of spun it out of control and made this a bigger story than it is. I don't think Donovan really cared and that made things personal. I think some other players stepped up to have his back and spoke out a little bit on this. Um, But... You could tell D-Wade was like, hey, we got a close connection, him and Shaq. Let me get Shaq to speak up on this and like see where he's really coming from. And I would like to speak into it a little bit. 
And Shaq wasn't really trying to give in, but he said, hey, at the end of the day, like, I'm not personally attacking anybody. I've earned my right to say what I have, which I totally agree. Like, if you're going to take it personal, then, like, you're not part of my squad. It, it is what it is. Like, if you can't take a constructive criticism from a Hall of Famer, like, who are you? I mean, this is the NBA. And I fully agree. I don't think he was harsh at all. People spun what he was saying, like, oh, Spide is trash. Oh, Rudy Gobert is trash. That's not what he's saying. He was trying to say, hey, um, I wanted to get a little bit of constructive criticism to Donovan to help up his game because he really enjoys Donovan. And when it comes to Gobert, he was just saying, hey, if you're a tall seven-footer that's you know not from the U.S., you, you join late, or maybe you don't have the athleticism of the guards that we all live up and enjoy as much because the Kobe's, the LeBron's, um, the D-Wade's, all these guys are on a higher pedestal than the big guys. But he's like, hey, if you're tall and you can get these average numbers, you could be a franchise center and make some serious money. So look at that as like motivation for the t- the taller, unathletic guys, or you know, like Rudy Gobert. He came from France. He learned basketball late. He was like this, like a pencil thick, really tall guy. They call him the Stifle Tower. And it took him a while to get some coordination. He had to put on some muscle to handle working with the centers. And he's put a lot of work into himself to get this. But that's true. If you're a tall guy, you put the work in, you have an opportunity in the NBA. It just really is what it is. Um, and they were laughing at it because Rudy had 9.7 rebounds the other night, and he's got the super max, right? And uh, Wade just wanted to speak into that because Donovan's, you know, basically like his little mini-me. He's super close with Donovan and wanted to shed some light on that, but Shaq didn't give in as much. And, you know, Shaq, he's got, he doesn't go deep in his conversations. He just kind of says what he says. Um. You know, sticky with the Jazz, sorry, non-Jazz fans, but they had lost after their 11 straight win streak, which was the longest winning streak in the league at that point. And other th- big things that happened last week, we talked about Sexland. The Cavs are fun. They're sitting in se- uh, the seventh seed. Without Kevin Love, you, w- you could have never convinced me that they would be in the top eight right now. It's super early. Things will change, but super cool to see the Cavs doing their thing without LeBron. Uh, the Nuggets are gaining steam, as I said earlier. They're sitting at fourth in the Western Conference. They were just outside of it a week and a half ago. Um, they beat the Jazz the other day in a rematch. Nikola Jokic looking like a, a MVP frontrunner. Uh, that team's fun. It's looking like the Nuggets are getting back on track to the Nuggets we expected coming into the season. Uh, the 76ers beat the Lakers last week. What a good game that was. The 76ers are the real deal with the victory. But please, Joel Embiid, stop flopping, bro. Like, you're disheartening. You're, you're making centers look bad. It's just shitty performance when you're out there flopping like that, trying to go up and shoot, and, like, no one's even touching you, and you're making it a big deal. Um, I, I just can't stand it. I hope he would just play his form of ball without the flopping because this team is fun, and I want to root for them. But the more shit he does like that, I'll be anti, anti-Sixers fan, that's for sure. And hey, another team that's coming around that I'm enjoying is the Warriors. I would watch every Warriors game just because of Steph Curry. Watching him flow, besides Kyrie Irving, he flows the best. A little bit different in style, but he did this over-under, like, float-in-the-air layup at the end of the game last night, and I was just mind-blown. Super fun to see them do well. You know, bummer that Klay Thompson couldn't make it. I'm kind of in a good phase with the Warriors because they're not the dominant force that we just expect in the finals anymore. They're kind of the scrappy underdog like Steph Curry was and the reason why I fell in love with them in college. So and I'm enjoying the Warriors right now. They're 11-10 and 10 right outside um, the playoff spot of the Rockets. 
having played one more game than them. If the Rockets lose tonight, they can swap back in. Enjoying them. And then there's the Heat, the Eastern Conference team from last year. They're almost the bottom of the standings at 7-13. and 13, Have had a ton of COVID and injury issues. Their squad is back to healthy. I expect them to do a little bit of Nuggets action and shoot up the standings the next few weeks. We could even look at who they play this upcoming week uh, or next couple weeks. They got some pretty good games. They got uh, very winnable games. Two games against Washington. Two games against the Knicks. Rockets, Jazz, uh, Kings, Thunder. So pretty good winnable schedule this next month. I'd expect them to shoot up the the rankings. Uh, I think Jimmy had 33 in his first game back. So will be interesting to watch them. Um, another weird storyline from last week, Bradley Bill saying he wants to stay in D.C. I'm just wondering where this is coming from. I mean, does he love D.C.? Does he just want to be a ride or die? Because, uh, you know, like I said, I hate players forcing themselves out. Bradley Bill has that big contract, but it's kind of like a Deshaun Watson situation to me where he's just sitting there uh, wasting his prime. And I would rather see him on another team. Uh, the wizards are just the wizards. I mean, they're almost like the Knicks. It's just a tough situation, big market, just not very well ran in the front office. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we talked about the Suns earlier and props to CP three. They're sitting in fifth. That's a fun team to watch. Uh, I knew the combo of Devin Booker and CP3 was going to be fun, but they have a lot of role players stepping up, so that's going to be a team kind of like the Thunder were last year that no one's going to want to play, and on any given night they're hitting shots, you're in trouble. And for the Jazz, I mean, we obviously they had just come off the 11-game win streak, but seeing Bogdanovich go off, shooting the threes, the clutch threes when need be, he had clutch threes last night against the Pistons when they were trying to come back and had a really big game against the Mavericks. Um, so him coming back, being Mr. Clutch, that team's going to be really tough to beat with all those shooters. Um, it's just funny because I was talking about the Nets and they don't know who to go to at the ball. With Donovan and Mountain Mike Conley, the Jazz know if they need a bucket or a game-winning shot, it goes to bogey. So it's funny how these teams that have some chemistry, and that was the Jazz's issue last year, was the lack of chemistry, how much of a difference that makes. And that's why I'm saying, even though the Nets are as talented as they are, I do feel like they'll just be a little short because even though they have more talent than anybody, you got to have the time on the court to really make a difference. How about uh, Sabonis? Man, this guy's on fire. I wish I would have drafted him in fantasy. There were people drafting him in fantasy a little high, higher than I would like to, but damn, he is just balling out. He's putting up ungodly numbers, um, and it's really cool to see when Shaq was doing the highlights of the Pacer game last night. He's like, yeah, I'm a huge Sabonis fan because you know his dad was just this big physical terror in the league. He wasn't an offensive scorer, but whatever he's done to show his son, like this is a big guy that can move, that can shoot. He does everything, and that's super true. <laughs> And I talked about Laurie back in Chicago. He's had a couple of back thirty uh, back to back thirty point performances. I really like this guy, and I like the youth of the Bulls, and I want to root for him and hope they do well. Uh, but it was hard last year because I drafted Laurie thinking he'd put up these numbers, and he had a terrible season. But you'd think the youth of him, Levine, Kobe White, they'll be able to figure some things out and battle for a, a playoff position. Uh, but it's going to be tough for them. They're at eight and eleven right now. Uh, but that's a team with a lot of offense and not a lot of defense. Um, 
another team that we were talking about. I know I'm covering a lot of ground here, but I'm really enjoying the Rockets. I talked about this previous weeks, uh, but Christian Wood coming back. That team looks scrappy. They're sitting in the eighth spot right now. Now that Harden's there, I'm rooting. I'm all in on the the Rockets bandwagon. You got Gordon. I've always liked Gordon. You got Oladipo. So that's another fun team that that I I'm enjoying watching, and I would expect to cling on the bottom of the playoffs. Um. A big game this past week, I talked about it, was primetime basketball on Saturday. No fights, no football, no football that Sunday. And the game that I was circling, ready to strap in for was Lakers-Celtics. Uh, that was an amazing game. Um, if either team really wants to win it all this year, though, I feel like they really need to shore up their three-point shooting and uh, improve their defense. Um, that game, you could see a little bit of mixtures. There wasn't a, a very high clip of shooting because um, they were digging each other up very well. Uh, but I would expect one of those teams to make a move uh, or improve. Uh, the Celtics could use just health, to be honest. But I would expect the Lakers to do something because they need to have better shooters. Uh, KCP's been very streaky this year. Obviously, they don't have Danny Green anymore, who didn't show up when they needed it to anyways. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams go. Um, obviously those are two history franchises. That's a big rivalry game. So that was a blast on Saturday. That was on ABC. Super cool to see, um, this past week as well. One of the games that was very enjoyable that I didn't expect was the wizards and Westbrook facing off against nets and some of his prior teammates. Um, Westbrook was fired up. I've been talking shit on Westbrook and how I think he's phasing out in Washington, but he wanted to show that he's still the guy when need be. He was hitting clutch shots, playing great defense, and uh, they were able to upset the Nets, which it's funny to see the Nets are now second in the East at 14-9, and nine, which would have them around four in the West, but they have lost to teams like Cleveland twice and the Wizards, who are at four wins in the whole season. Because they have no defense, but neither does the Wizards, and they could put up offense. Uh, Westbrook and Bill partnered together and shot the lights out, and were able to take down the Giant. And then last night, Nets Clippers, you know, the Clippers were such a good bench team with Montrez and uh, Lou Williams, but they got to do something. I mean, Lou Williams looks like he's done or he needs to be traded um, because without a better bench, they're just not going to be able to keep up. And it looked like they couldn't keep up with the Nets. They were just getting baskets when they wanted to. Even Paul George said it was hard to defend. They had too much going on. Uh, Kawhi doesn't say a lot, but damn, it was fun to watch him. He's having one of uh, his better career years, to be honest. And uh, I think that he could really, you know, if we see the playoff claw that we know is capable, they could potentially beat the Lakers just off him alone. So uh, that's going to be fun to see how the end of their season turns out and what chemistry they can build. But they got to improve that bench if they want to make it. Upcoming weeks, some games. So tonight we got a pretty stacked slate. Mavericks versus Hawks. Talked about the importance of the Mavs there. Pacers versus Bucks in a potential playoff preview. Uh, 76ers versus Hornets. We'll see how good the Hornets can be. Uh, I believe LaMelo starting again. And then Suns versus Pelicans. Again, the Pelicans just have a lot of big names. I love Brandon Ingram watching Zion against Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That's just one of the uh, matchups that you got to see. On Thursday, we got the Warriors versus the Mavs and Nuggets versus Lakers. This will be a big gauging uh, game for the Nuggets to see where they stand now that they have things rolling. And both Warriors and Mavs need to hang in and keep momentum, so that'll be a good matchup. 
The Jazz play the Hornets on Friday, like I said earlier. This is Gordon's first game versus the Jazz and the Hornets. We'll see if this is a, you know, a prove-it game or a revenge game of any nature. Uh, Pelicans versus Pacers, also on Friday. Uh, Raptors versus Nets after Van Fleet's 50-point performance and the Nets' high-powered offense. So we'll see if, he, if they can get some buckets to keep up with the Nets' offense. And then Celtics versus Clippers on ESPN to wrap up the weekday. That's going to be a doozy. Can't wait to see that. Hopefully the full squads play. Um, I know Marcus Smart's out, but as long as Tatum, Brown, Kawhi, and PG are playing, I'm tuning in. Uh, Saturday, we got 76ers versus Nets. Another doozy. Uh, that's a big-time game, you know, potential Eastern Conference final. Uh, so going to want to tune into that one. And then Warriors versus Mavericks play on ABC that day. Steph versus Luka. They play uh, two times in uh, two days. So that's just going to be a fun one. High-powered offense, I'm sure. Won't be watching basketball on Super Bowl Sunday, but if you want to, the Celtics play the Suns, the Jazz play the Pacers. Those are pretty good games. I probably will be checking scores, but I doubt I'll be watching. It depends what the times are. And then Monday, when I'll probably be a little sluggish after the Super Bowl, there'll be Bucks versus Nuggets on NBA TV and Thunder versus Lakers. Uh, two really good games. I, I expect a lot of scoring in those. And then wrapping up the week before the next podcast, we got Celtics versus Jazz on TNT Tuesday, and Shaq's going to be in studio. So we'll see We'll see what happens when the Jazz whoop the Celtics. No, that's going to be a good game. But if the Jazz whoop the Celtics and they have to interview Donovan or Rudy, it'll be funny to see if, if they get a little banter going with Shaq or if D-Wade could get Shaq to say something. And then uh, the Rockets will play the Pelicans and later on in that doubleheader on TNT. And then Wednesday is Pacers versus Nets as we shoot the new pod and Bucks versus Suns on ESPN. So basketball got a lot of things going. It's cool to see these teams, you know, whether they're going to improve or whether they're just going to continually fall in the standings because this is the time where teams start to separate themselves. And I'm sure I'll dive into a couple other teams that I'm watching um, in the next couple weeks. I'll probably do an updated power ranking soon as well. Um, in college basketball, there's more post game, postponed games more than the NBA. Uh, but like the NBA, it's starting to clear up a little bit. The past couple weeks, like you look at Saturday and Tuesday, which are big college basketball days, there was like just a shit ton of postponed games. Now there's just usually a couple. So hopefully they can keep that momentum going on. And it's kind of the same story. It's really the five or six teams that I've been talking about just in a league of their own. And then there's everybody else. Um, when you look at the standings right now, or the rankings, I should say, uh, the two teams that are the, the outliers are Houston and Drake, uh, both undefeated teams. Actually, Houston lost one game, but in the position they're in with their schedules, they could win out and it'll be easy, interesting to see how they get seated for the tournament and how they are put in the rankings because just the lack of opponents, um, some big games that happened this past week, though. The one that I was talking about last week was Iowa versus Illinois. Um, Illinois squeezed it out. Looks like they could slow Garza down. He didn't have a massive performance. And the Illinois role players really showed up. So um, Illinois making moves. They're now 12th in the standings, up 7 from a week ago. Um, so we'll see if they can continue this week to improve up the rankings. And then we had... Uh, Virginia Tech over Virginia. That's Virginia Tech's first win against Virginia. I think they said like in over 20, 30 years. So that's got to be huge. Virginia Tech is now 16th in the standings. So starting to move up. Virginia sitting at 14, down six after that loss. 
And then another big game um, was Oklahoma. They had a couple games. They're definitely ranked too high. They're sitting at nine right now. Um, they got beat by Texas Tech yesterday without McClung having a huge game, which speaks its, it, to itself as they have Texas Tech at 13. This obviously happened the rankings after the game, but I would foresee Oklahoma to fall down quite a bit. But earlier in that week, they beat Alabama. That was their big statement win. Alabama's ranked 10. But I think both of those teams, even though they do play in the Big 12, which is a stacked conference, the probably the best conference this year, um, being a little bit overrated just because they are in that conference. So we'll see how, how that shakes out as the next couple weeks uh, roll out. And then Florida beat West Virginia, uh, which Florida hasn't been doing much this year. That's a huge win for them, uh, even though Culver had 28 points. And then the biggest one of the week, Baylor versus Texas. This was the first time two Texas teams ever have been ranked in the top 10. <laughs> it, it's funny when I was a kid, you know, it's the state schools were just clearly better. You had Texas, then Baylor was trash. Texas uh, A&M wasn't really good. You had TCU was like a D3 school. Um, in California, there was a lot of subsidiary schools, and those smaller schools are starting to recruit better and are starting to play at a higher level. Um but Texas is coming out of a, a big issue with COVID. Shaka Smart had COVID. Some teams were close, so had to be out. So they were saying something like their 18 group of 18 core players and coaches hadn't been together in two months. So um, from that, Shaka's back Monday. They play on Tuesday. Texas was able to scrap in and stay close, but when every time uh, Baylor was gaining momentum, they just couldn't make enough shots to claw back in. But I was impressed because Baylor's ranked second. They're 16-0. and uh, They'll probably win out. Maybe not. The Big 12 is pretty solid. And the only other team that has a better impressive resume is probably Gonzaga, who's sitting at one. And they were supposed to play each other earlier in the year but got canceled because of COVID. So hopefully that gets rescheduled. I highly doubt it does at this point. Um, but I think Baylor's the best team in the nation. And um, you got to give props to Texas for that. I was, I was even tweeting during the game, this Baylor team reminds me of the 2018 Nova squad that won the championship. Uh, just the three guards that they have are on a whole other level. Butler had 21 points that day, and Mitchell had 27. So they're rolling. They have some big games coming up, but it'll be interesting to see if they could keep winning through that tough Big 12 conference. This upcoming week, there's some pretty good bangers as well. We got Ohio State versus Iowa. That's going to be a great matchup. Um... You know, Iowa's got to keep winning big games after that loss to Illinois. Um, they sit at eight right now um, in the rankings in Ohio State seven. So that's going to be a good one. On Saturday, we got a bunch of hoops. That's a big day in college always now. We got Alabama versus Missouri. To me, these are two overrated teams. So we'll see who the more overrated team is. Uh, Missouri right now is sitting at 18. And Alabama, like I said, is at 10. And then we have West Virginia versus Kansas to see who can get back on track and gain some momentum after their losses. Um, Kansas is sitting at 23. They got six losses, somehow still in the top 25, probably because a lot of teams with COVID. Um, and West Virginia having that, that tough loss to Florida, they had fallen back to 17th down six spots. So that's going to be another big Big 12 game. And then Illinois plays Wisconsin. This will be huge for Illinois just to keep proving that they belong. And this is going to be big for Wisconsin to stay in the mix. 
Uh, they're 13 and five, down five spots to 19. They lose this one. They could find themselves outside the top 25 with uh, six losses. So it'll be interesting to see if Trice and team can pull them through. And then uh, some more Big 12 competition: Texas versus Oklahoma State. This is a sleeper one. I've been talking how I think Texas is in that top top echelon, but with the, all the COVID issues they've had, they're really going to have to grind together a real good game plan because Cade Cunningham, who potentially is the best uh, recruit in the NBA for the draft next year, is going to want to make a prove-it statement, prove statement game, and I expect him to have a huge night. So let's see if Texas can keep him at bay and outscore the uh, power of Cunningham and the Oklahoma State squad. And then right before the pod next Tuesday, we got West Virginia, Texas Tech. Just another trying to stay alive in the, the Big 12. And then Florida State versus Virginia Tech. Uh, Florida State's 20. Um, if Virginia Tech could keep winning, they only have three losses. They could shoot up the rankings. So lots of good battles going up. Uh, uh, ranking juxtaposition, so to speak. Uh, but let's move to the stove. Let's move to the diamond. Uh, some big moves continuing to happen. The stove staying hot and getting to wrap up. As the league announced that the, the uh, league schedule and spring training won't be delayed. I say uh, we'll see about that. Last year, I was about to buy tickets to go to spring training, and the the games had got canceled out of nowhere as COVID started to pop right before. There's just too many, per, too too much personnel on a baseball team, and all the staff and training, and then then having fans on top of it. Um, so I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to believe that that will happen. Uh, but the MLPA is trying to put together a agreement with the commission uh, on how many games they're going to play as the last proposal got shut down. I believe it was 154 games. Um, so we'll see what happens. But the biggest move of them all, Nolan Arenado traded to the Cardinals. You know, you see these guys, these big contracts, you feel like the teams are going all in, and then they just trade them and start over. Baseball is a crazy sport. Um, last year with COVID and the price cuts, a lot of owners aren't willing to pay to keep their teams relevant. So that was a big move that we saw here by the, the Rockies. And they're saying, no, we don't want to trade Trevor Story. But if you're going to trade Arnando, who's one of the probably top five players in the game, you know, what, what are you playing for? Why are you keeping your big names? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but Nelson Cruz and Alex Colomb signed to the Twins. Twins making moves. They're that sneaky team that'll probably get a wild card again that no one expects. Uh, Jock Peterson signed to the Cubbies. The Cubbies just love those left, left-handed left power hitters. So we'll see if, if Peterson could get everyday playing time there or if he'll still be a platoon guy. The Phillies staying with their staying the course with their power, superstar powers. Uh, they signed D.D. Gregorius back. For me, if they're going to sign J.T. and D.D. like this, it seems like they're going to, you know, the owner's like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to put a competitive ball team out there and make a run for it. So I would assume that the Phillies aren't done and, you know, they're really going to uh, uh, fight to make the playoffs. Colton Wong was signed back by the Brewers, or not signed back, signed to the Brewers, which was a big move. Great second baseman. I was kind of hoping the Angels would get him uh, early, hot stove time. Hey, Bauer is still out there. When is Bauer going to sign? This is killing me. This reminds me of Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. Um, even Garrett Cole, I guess, took quite a while. But there, some people are saying that the Angels aren't interested because of the Callaway-Bauer relationship. Our owner said he would spend a lot of money. We're not even up to our cap number yet. I say F that. Angels, make the goddamn deal. We need an ace. We got to compete. We can't waste Mike Trout's years. Uh, but we'll see. 
The teams that I thought were going to get them are spending a lot of money elsewhere, such as the Blue Jays. Uh, but there's rumors that the Dodgers are there. That's where Bauer wants to go. It's baseball. You got money. I wouldn't be surprised. If they got him, though, I'd be pissed. Fuck the Dodgers. Um, Marcel Ozuna and Justin Turner, the 6th and 7th ranked free agents, are still out there. Position players are going like crazy. I would assume that they get signed. Ozuna's getting hurt by not having the official word of DH being back in the NL. I really hope they do do that, and that would be huge as an NL team would probably sign him right away. Um, but I expect those guys to go soon. I'm really looking forward to see where James Paxton, Jake Odorizzi go, Taiwan Walker. These are starting pitchers ranked 18th, 27th, and 28th in the free agents. Uh, we got Trevor Rosenthal and Ken Giles as big-time relievers as well. They're 38th and 49th respectively out of the top 60. I mean, Ken Giles was Ken 100-mile Giles not a couple of years ago. A guy like that, you lose velocity, though. You fall off pretty quickly. But I would assume that he's still got some left in the tank. And Trevor Rosenthal had a big year last year. Um, so, you know, these are big pitchers that can make some some pretty good differences to teams, uh, especially my Angels. So hopefully we see these guys go off the board soon. Uh, Eddie Rosario got signed by Cleveland. Again, the Cleveland team really doesn't have a name. They're not supposed to be the Indians anymore. So I'm interested to see, you know, what, what name they come up with. I really hope it's not the Cleveland baseball team, if anything. Uh, Adam Wainwright staying with the Cardinals. That's really cool to see. This guy just keeps on pitching at high-level uh, potential. And, uh, hey, with the trade of Arnando, I'm not ruling anything out. I wouldn't be surprised if some big-name pitchers got traded before the season or even early season uh, trade before the deadline. Cleveland making all these moves. Maybe Shane Bieber becomes available. I mean, this guy is a top-five pitcher in baseball right now. Uh, Luis Castillo, I would say, is a top 10 guy. The Cardinals, or not the Cardinals, the Reds have been dumping everybody, so I would assume that that's a potential if a team has an attractive offer. And then the Rockies, like I said, why are they keeping their studs at this point? Uh, Marquez is a good available option who could be a top three starter for any team. So excited to see if there's some blockbuster trades that come out of nowhere, uh, but supposedly the season's starting on time, so we're right around the corner. And we're going to wrap up with Supercross. Hey, Supercross is getting out there. This is a fun season. Um, there hadn't been any back-to-back -back winners so far this season. It's been a close field. We've seen some guys up and down in the standings in the 250 and 450 class. Like I said, I'm marking my, my videos on YouTube for those of you that tune into the video on YouTube so you can see my sectioned out places. Because I know most of you that tune in probably don't watch Supercross, but I think I could get you into it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, dirt bike racing, how could you not go wrong there? Uh, these kids are animals. They're athletic freaks of nature's and best in the world. I really enjoy it. I think I could get you too as well. And they're a lot of fun in person. Every time I bring someone into person, they fall in love with it. So, First round of three in Indianapolis last Saturday in the 250 class. It was just top dogs doing top dog things. Colt Nichols took the victory. Michael Moisman with a second-place finish. I mean, he's doing really well this year. This is huge for the new Gas Gas team with him and Barsha in the 450 class. And then we had Shimoda, the Kawasaki stud, at third. Jet Lawrence with a fourth-place finish. And Christian Craig with a fifth-place finish. Because of the three-day matchups in the city, they turn around with a quick Tuesday race. Um, my boy Jet Lawrence had a big wreck uh, in his heat race. He didn't qualify. He battled back in the LCQ and won the LCQ. Uh, but 
the injury just got worse and the team decided not to have him partake in the main event, which is huge for the standing. So he did not even uh, take uh, the start in the Tuesday race main event. So the final finishes there was uh, Nichols got first. Craig this time got second. Moisman with a third place, another podium. Uh, Shimoda just off the podium with fourth. So that puts the point standings pretty clear cut. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to catch ground. We got Colt Nichols in first place with 122 points. Um, we got Christian Craig in second with 111. So he's even 11 points back. Uh, Moisman in third with 97, almost 20 points back. And then Shimoda, or not 20, 14 points back. Uh, Shimoda with 96. And then Lawrence in fifth with 84th, 84 points. My preseason pick was Team Honda all the way. I was going with the, the young stud, Jet Lawrence. Uh, with that, without him play, uh, racing in that main, he's pretty far back, but he could still fight for a podium. And he reminds me a lot of uh, Ken Roxon. He's young and raw, and with injuries and everything else he's going through right now, I'm sure he'll be making a run out of the next couple of years. He'll get everything come together. Let's move to the big boys. So first race in Indy last Saturday, Roxon with the first win. This was huge for him and the team Honda after the week before he had been in first place. A lapper got in his way, slowed him up, and gave way for Cooper Webb, who's right behind Roxon in the standings, the win. So Roxon was able to steal the show, and boy, was this one a show. He was going back and forth with Eli Tomac. He had passed Tomac. Tomac had passed him, and then Ken took the lead with the last five minutes or so. Um, even uh, Tomac was saying this is one of his more favorite races of his career, and what a battle it was. Uh, but this was big for Tomac, too, making way and trying to come back as back-to-back uh, -back champion in the points. He has a long ways to go, though, to make a repeat. Um, and it's funny because his partner, uh, AC Sorrento Rulo, is very close with Roxon, and I see them training online and social media, riding mountain bikes together, doing things on the beach. It's kind of funny to see that, that uh, combination go. And... It's really showing in the races. Every time AC is ahead of Roxon, Roxon handles him with pretty quick business. So I think within that training, he realizes his weaknesses and where his moves are because I've definitely been seeing that in the main events. And um, the way the courses are now, the whole shot makes a big difference in getting out early because it's not easy to pass people. Um, the races are a lot different than normal. We're not having a typical circuit from city to city each Saturday. They're doing less cities with fans because of COVID regulations. But I feel like the tracks are just a little bit more tighter, a little bit more rough or something. Uh, because it's not easy for these guys to make moves once, once the people got lead out in the front and after the first couple laps. Uh, this race finished, obviously, Roxon first, Tomac second, Cooper Webb with the third place finish. Adam Sorrentarulo with fourth. Osborne got a fifth place finish. The rookie Ferrandez got sixth. Uh, Justin Anderson, a champion from a couple years ago, finished with seventh. And, you know, he's really been struggling. I kind of thought he came out of nowhere that championship year and has kind of been a, a one-trick pony. And he was really trying to prove the crowds wrong. He's He's been very vocal on his social media about how he's letting his fans down and, and uh, Team Husqvarna down. Uh, but we'll see how he finishes up. That was one of his better places. Uh, Muskan keeps falling back with a 10th place finish and Malcolm Stewart got 11th. So that brought us to the race in uh, Tuesday in Indy. So it's two of three races. They race again there next Saturday. Again, there had been no repeat winner with Ken's last win. 
Well, Ken got a win again. He went back-to-back. He got the job done. He pretty much took it out of the gates from the get-go. And it's great to see Ken racing this way. He's racing aggressive, and he's not giving up leads. Last year, he had some health issues and was talking about some breathing issues. And he's come off back-to-back nasty wrist injuries where the doctor said he'd never race again. So it's even brilliant that he's even back to racing, let alone showing the speed and aggressiveness. I think even... Uh, the analysts were like, man, Ken's just racing out of his mind. Like, I think he's got to be a favorite to win it at this point because the year before he wasn't, when he had a lead, he couldn't keep it. When he was trying to make moves in the middle of the pack, he, he wasn't racing aggressive. He looked like he was just holding it, holding it back a lot, which as a fr- fan frustrated me because I wanted the best for him. But this year he's being more aggressive and, and making moves than I've ever seen him do it. Uh, so it was awesome to see him clearly win this race in a back to back. Um, Tomac and Barsha battled it out for a second. Uh, Bam Bam's a physical guy. He doesn't let you pass him. He wouldn't let uh, Tomac get it. Tomac was physical and tried to make those moves because he knows how important it is to score these points now and stack up these points as he's already falling behind um, Roxon with his first back-to-back win. Uh, Webb battled way back from way back down. I think he started around like 10th or 11th. And then Stewart was up, I think, in 4th or 5th. And then had an incident. He got passed, fell loose up on the whoops and crashed, uh, which put him back into a 10th place finish. So we had Roxon with the first place, Barsha second, Tomac to round out the podium, Webb right there in fourth place, Plessinger fifth, uh, Serencerulo in sixth, Osborne with a seventh place finish, the rookie rounding out the top 10 and ninth, Malcolm Stewart 10th, and Muskan 11th. So as it stands today, we got Roxon in first with 112 points, Cooper Webb in second with 99, which is one ahead of Tomac with 98 for the top three. So, you know, Ken's got a 13-point lead over Webb and a 14-point now over Tomac. Uh, Barsha's in fourth with 92, still fighting for podium capability, and AC's right behind him in fifth with 87, which I said round three is coming up this Saturday in Indy, and then we go away from the Tuesday races for a little bit. They go back-to-back Saturday races in Orlando, and then two weeks later, they have a week off. They're doing a Saturday one-week race in Daytona, which is always fun, and then they do the back-to-the-three-in-one-city. They're going to Arlington in March for a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, so multiple Saturdays coming up, and then back-to-the-three starting in March, uh, but I mean, both of these races are starting to get spread out. Uh, the 450 class a lot closer than the 250 class, but it's going to be interesting. These next couple races are going to be pivotal for point standing position, and we'll see if Jet Lawrence is healthy to try to make a move at that podium. One thing I will say, they are doing end of season races in Salt Lake, so I'm definitely trying to go. If you want to go to Salt Lake, watch some Supercross. Let's make it happen. I would love to see Roxon win it all and try to catch a jazz game once that second half uh, schedule is announced in April in Salt Lake City. Fans involved in everything. As I close out the show, just want to give another shout out to the boys at Field Supplements. Uh, thank you for the uh, for the sponsorship. Uh, I'm taking their pre-workout right now. I got their comeback for recovery. Uh, I've taken the protein. Getting into the 1NMF here pretty soon, so excited to check that out. But any field supplements, any multivitamins, you're looking for field greens, they got great uh, pricing and product. But better yet, use my promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. Get you guys a discount. Great for some gifts. And hey, gyms are back open. 
I know I bought the Echelon Sport Bike for at home, really trying to take my fitness and health and well-being for this next year to the next level. Field Supplements is aiding me, and I'll guide you through my journey, but I'd love for you guys to check them out, add it to your journey. I'll really help you guys out. So um, next week, uh, our sports weekly podcast, and then later this month, I'll have business episode two with Brad Federson. So check it out. Thanks, guys.